Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. All right. Yeah, so I love you guys, so I could just brag on you all day. But All right. But instead, I'm going to tell a story. So it's a really, really short story. But one, I heard this story, and I tried to find it online. I don't know where it came from, but it stuck in my brain. And it's a story about a man who never spoke bad about anything, anyone. And one day, another man came up to him, and he said, man, you never speak bad about anybody. I bet you wouldn't even speak bad about the devil. And he goes, he pauses, and he goes, well, he's good at what he does. So in our culture, we should appreciate that. We don't speak bad about anybody except the devil, you know. This guy is good. He's good at what he does. So, but I started with that because I want to talk a little bit about the devil because he is kind of good at what he does, but that's all. He's not good at it. There's nothing else to good about to say about him. But in John 8, 44, it says, the Bible says that Satan was a murderer. Well, it doesn't say that. The Bible does say that. The Satan was a murderer from the beginning, the father of lies, and there is no truth in him. Say no truth in him. John 10, 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Revelation talks about how he's been accusing us day and night forever. This guy is a jerk. He's the worst. And sometimes I think we uh, give him too much credit, um, but he's actually, like, he's defeated. He's under our feet. But he can be good at what he does. And if we don't know that, we'll be deceived by that, and we'll forget that we actually have the authority, and we'll forget who the, the, what the truth actually is. And if, Because if you don't know the truth, and you don't know that someone's trying to lie to you, you'll just believe the lies, Right? So when you point out the liar for who he is, you can defeat him. You can put him in his rightful place under your feet. So I won't give him the satisfaction of not knowing who he is. And who he is is an accuser. He's a liar. He's a destroyer. He's a thief. He's a murderer. So when we can call him out for who he is, I'm not giving him the satisfaction of flying under the radar and getting away with what he does because he's just not, not going to do that. It's not worth that. And he's a fraud. Did you know that the enemy cannot actually create anything of himself? Anything that he does is a distortion, is a perversion of what God has already created. So um, if you look at things in the world and you say, oh, that's the enemy. Okay, the enemy is using that, but the enemy cannot create anything of him, in and of himself. He can only twist what God has already made, what he's already created. So he does that even with fear. So one of the enemy's greatest tactics is fear, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. Yesterday was Halloween. We'll just crush fear today. So one of the enemy's greatest tactics against us is fear, and even that is a perversion of something God intended for good. The enemy takes what was meant to point us to God, and he twists it so that we turn away from God, and that's what he does with fear. Because, see, the fear of God has always existed. The reverence, the honor, the fear of God is the fact that he is in everything. There's nothing outside of God. There's nothing above him, ever. 
So the very awareness of him, the true, not just the knowledge of him, but the awareness of him is to fear him because he's in everything. He created it all. There's nothing outside of him. There's nothing above him. So my simple definition of the fear of the Lord is that God is first and nothing gets put above him. Now, Lucifer, the devil, he tried to be above God. So I'm going to read you that in Isaiah 14. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Listen to that. You who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down. So that's what he said. And then God says, but yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest, depth, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you, this is why we need to know who he is so that we can see him for what he actually is. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the nations tremble? To me, that's pretty huge. If you look today and you think the nations are trembling, you say, oh, the enemy's so upset. He's so angry. He's, he's drawing near. But when we see him for who he actually is, we say, is that it? That is what was making the nations tremble? And even in our own lives, we get so um, worked up in fear. We, we think the enemy is attacking, attacking, attacking. I'm not saying we don't feel those things. But when we can say, that's it? It was that? It was the enemy? It was the one who's already defeated. It brings us back to that fear of the Lord and saying, you are greater. He is greater. Nothing is above him ever, ever, ever. Nothing is above God. He was a liar from the beginning. And when he is found out, we will look at him and say, is that the man who made the nations tremble? So the first commandment, so remember my definition of the fear of the Lord is that God is first, there's nothing higher than him, nothing greater than him. So the first commandment in the 10 commandments is what? You might know this. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And then later in the New Testament, um, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Now is this because God is an egotist and he needs his name to be big? No, it's just because he is. He doesn't need it because he is it. He is already greater. He's in everything. Romans eleven thirty six says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Say all things. There's nothing bigger than God. The Passion Translation of that same verse says, and because God is the source and sustainer of everything, everything finds fulfillment in him. Say, everything finds fulfillment in him. May all praise and all honor be given to him forever. He is all of it. Just that scripture alone. He's everything, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Therefore, to God be the glory in it all, all of it. He's the painting and the paint. He's in the full picture, but he's also in every color, line, stroke, and blend. He's the micro and the macro. 
He is all of it. So the fear of the Lord says, nothing has power over me except for him. I give you the ultimate rule in my life. You may have heard me say this before, but he needs to be the biggest thing that we see and the loudest voice that we hear. It sets him in his rightful place above all. That is the fear of the Lord. Nothing else above him. So I have learned to love the fear of the Lord. And I think there's a lot of misconception about what the fear of the Lord is, that it's judgment or that it's, um, it makes us cower and makes us small because he's so big. But the true fear of the Lord is when we look at him and we see him most, we see the actual true reflection of him in us. We see who we were rightfully created to be, which is not small and cowering. It's standing tall in the image and likeness of our Father God. It's knowing that nothing will ever satisfy except for him. So I know in my life, anytime, and I'm getting better at recognizing this sooner, anytime that I am discontented in my life, so that could even just look like, like the other day, I was just having it like, it wasn't even a bad day, it was like a bad two hours. And I don't know where it came from, it was just like, I feel funky. And I just, I knew, I was like, okay, Lord, there's something that I'm, I'm putting above you right now. And so I could have let that just control my day and say, well, it is what it is. I got a bad mood, whatever, whatever. And I just said, Lord, I just put you in my focus. And that might sound like holy. It might sound like I'm whatever, but trust, like it's not. Like I am just as human as every person. But sometimes just recognizing, okay, God, I just put you first. It will reset your perspective because you can't look at him and not become like him. You can't see a holy God. You can't actually put your attention on him. I'm not just talking awareness. I'm not just talking knowledge. I mean, you can't actually look at him and not become like him. So in a moment, he can change your attitude. He can change your mood if you submit it to him. He can change those things. And I'm not saying you can't ever have a bad mood. Please. Like, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying I've recognized in my life when something is off, often I can go to him and say, God, just please, I just want to see you first. I just want to look at you, and it just resets things for me. And maybe I still have the funk, but, like, it's different. Like, I still have the emotions, but it's, it's different. My, my heart has changed. And then soon, the emotions, everything else will come into alignment. All right, so I'm not saying we have to go off and live in a monastic lifestyle away from everything in order to see him first. Sometimes it's like, well, then I have to cut off everything fun in my life and go focus on him. If God's calling you to do that for a season or forever, you go for it. You obey him. But I'm not saying you have to cut off everything that's fun in this world, in this life, in order to put him first. That's not it at all. It's just a posture of the heart. It's just saying, okay, all of these other things. But when you speak, that's all that matters. We put him first and we put him most. And he's easy to love because he first loved us. So that's the fear of the Lord. And remember, the enemy, so what is his greatest tactic against us is what? You remember? Fear. So he's taking something that was meant for God, the fear of the Lord, putting him first and most, and he's trying to turn it and make, and against us, make it a weapon towards us. So the enemy will take something and say, all right, something else is bigger than God. And that's when fear comes in. That's when he tries to attack us. So the enemy's version of fear is to cause us to perceive something as more powerful than God. 
So the enemy's fear says, there is an authority that is greater than God. I trust in fear more than I trust in God. But now remember the source. Where does fear come from? Who is the enemy? He's a liar. He's always been. He's the father of lies. He's been accusing us day and night. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the guy who's making the nations tremble. That's the guy who's making me tremble. That's what he tries to do. We have to remember he's a liar. Everything he does is a lie. So fear is a lie. His fear is a lie towards us, trying to get us to put something above God. Now, maybe you've heard this acronym for the word fear, F-E-A-R, um, is false evidence appear, appearing real. So what is that? It's a lie, right? It's false evidence appearing real, F-E-A-R. If you've never heard of that, there you go. There's a fun little acronym for you. So fear is a liar. Can you say fear is a liar? All right, now some of you may have heard this story before, but a lot of you probably haven't. I want to tell you about the first time I encountered the enemy's fear in my life, the first memory that I have of fear in my life. I thought it was fitting since Halloween was yesterday, but it had to do with Halloween. So I grew up in a very Christian home in the 90s, and we did not acknowledge Halloween. Like, we didn't celebrate it. We didn't talk about it. Like, it just wasn't a thing. Like, I didn't, as a small child, I was probably three years old when this happened. Like, I, I didn't know about Halloween. I hadn't, it was not in my mind at all. And so one night, in our very Christian home in the 90s, I am on the couch with my dad, and we are watching a VHS tape of Ron Cannoli. And if you grew up in, the, in a very Christian home in the 1990s, you may know who Ron Cannoli is. But he's a worship leader, and we, he was just a big part of our worship, a big part of our home. So I don't know what night, Tuesday night, me and dad just chilling on the couch watching a VHS tape of Ron Cannoli. It's just worship music. My mom wasn't there. She was at the neighbor's. And so somebody knocks at the door, and my dad goes, oh, can you go get the door? That's your mom. Um, I forgot to unlock the door. So here I am, three-year-old little me, no knowledge of Halloween in my very Christian home in the 90s. And I go to let my sweet mother in, and I open the door. And in, the, in my face are these two demon monster people standing in front of me. And I screamed to the high heavens. And in that moment, I thought, well, demons are real. And they're at my door. Monsters are clearly real. They are right in front of me. Screamed so loud, like blood-curdling screams, my poor dad just thought that he was letting mom in. And here we had the porch light on. And so now, if you're connecting the dots, it's Halloween, and the porch light is on, and I go and I open the door, and in my reality, in that moment, my reality and my truth was that monsters are real. Now, what was actual truth? What was reality? There were like some 10-year-old punks in these ugly costumes who just wanted candy, right? Like, that was the truth. That was really happening. But that shifted in that moment, in that moment of trauma, that shifted my worldview. It shifted my perspective. It shifted what I saw. So for months, I remember this. I could not be alone. Like, mom and dad could not be away. I needed to know where they were. I would not go in the basement. Like, fear entered my life. Over what? Something false. It was false evidence appearing real. Punk kids dressed up as monsters. I shouldn't call them punks. Probably sweet boys. Men now. 
dressed up as monsters, but to me, my reality became, this is something to fear, and it changed my life. I could not be alone. For years, we went to Disney World, and I hated any of the things that were dressed up. Like, Brianna was like, oh, princess, like whatever. I ran and cried, like did anything in a costume, did not trust. We would do like crusades and like Bible schools and the clowns were like, get me away from these creepy things. So this, that one moment when I opened the door to these kids shifted my reality and actually changed the way that I live my life. Fear does that in our life. One moment of fear or one subtle buildup of fear will change the way that we live our lives. It will change the way we see things. It will change what we believe is truth. And it will change uh, the way that we live. Like it will actually affect us. I wouldn't go into the basement. I wouldn't be alone. Anything in a costume. And like I'm talking like into my teenage years, nothing in a costume. I don't want anything to do with them, right? So it changes the way that you live life. So in an instant, my reality was controlled. Think about this. In an instant, my reality was controlled by a lie. Suddenly, I saw the darkness as more powerful than I was. Now, of course, I was a three-year-old child. I didn't know at that time. But it's a good representation of what fear does. Because suddenly, something has become greater than God. Fear will try to run your life. It will try to boss you around. I have never liked being bossed around. So if fear is going to try to boss me around, I'm going to, I want it exposed so I can boss it right, right out of my life, right? So 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. You know, sometimes I think we just quote these verses from rote and we know them and they're in us. But I think sometimes we need to give it a little more space and we need to actually like, Look and know what those words are saying. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Period. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. God has not given us fear. He has given us power. He has given us love, and he has given us a sound mind. That is what he has given you. That is your portion. So something I've done in the past is like, if I have a decision to make or if I'm feeling fear in an area of my life, I say, okay, is power leading me? Is love leading me? Is a sound mind leading me? If the answer is no, okay, then this is fear and I need to just do it. I need to just push past that. I need to know that I'm actually more powerful in this situation that I'm feeling. So I have to ask, is God first and most in my life, or is something else getting my attention? Is something else making itself appear greater than God? Now, the word in that scripture um, for fear means timidity or cowardice. Timidity means a lacking in self-assurance, courage, or bravery. So if we stay in fear, we won't walk in faith. We won't believe that he's the biggest thing in the room. We won't believe that he is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll he'll do. We won't believe who we are. So timidity, it it makes you, um, you're lacking in self-assurance, courage, or bravery. We know in this house, bravery is a core value of ours, right? So when we're walking in that timidity, it stops us. It prevents us from walking in the bravery that he's put on the inside of us. Now, story um, with this word, timidity, 
uh, is in Matthew 8, 23 through 26. You might know this story. Um, Jesus and his disciples go out on a boat and a storm hits. Uh, And so it says, now when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. He, Jesus, was asleep. Then his disciples came and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful? O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the waves and the sea was calm. All right, now think about this. We know the story, right? Now put yourself in the disciples' shoes. I'm thinking about this the other day. I was like, all right, okay. So they're in a boat in like approximately like 31 AD. Like think of a boat now with all of our modern technology and conveniences and think of a boat then in 30 AD when they're building this by hand. They don't have, it's probably a hollowed out shell covered in tar. I don't know what it was actually made of, but it couldn't have been that advanced, right? So that's what we're out, and we're out in the sea. This is the ocean, right? And it says that the waves, a storm came, and the waves came, and they were filling the boat. I don't even like getting rained on. So number one, I'm already upset because we're in a storm, right? But it says, it, it says, so the boat was covered with the waves. Like, think about this. You're on a boat in the ocean, and the boat is covered with the waves. Okay, the disciples, I would be in the disciples' shoes. Jesus, are you kidding me? You're asleep right now? Like, don't, we are perishing. We are dying. You guys aren't reacting the way that I, I feel like is fitting for this. Like, there you go, thank you. Like, we are dying, the waves are covering the boat. And Jesus rebukes them. Like, are you kidding me? Like, Jesus rebukes them. And Jesus says, why are you fearful? Because we're perishing? Because the boat is covered with the waves? Like, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? I just, this just blows my mind. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, I heard these stories all my life. But when you really think about what was happening, it gives you a different perspective. So Jesus says, why are you fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. That word fearful, in my mind, means why are you terrified? He's saying, why are you freaking out? That's not what he's saying. That word fear is not the word for terror. That is the word that means timid. That's the word that means it's taking your bravery. He's not saying, why are you fearful? Why are you in terror? Because he might have known they had a rightful reason to be worked up, right? But he's not telling them, why are you in terror? He says, why are you pretending that I'm not here? Why are you pretending that you're not brave? Why are you shrinking back? And that word, when it says, ye of little faith, he said, that word in the original language means um, trusting too little. So he's saying, why are you making the waves bigger than me? Trust in who I am and trust in who you are. So they're making the waves bigger. They're making the storm bigger. And yes, this is happening. But Jesus is teaching them a lesson. Nothing is bigger than him. Nothing is bigger than him. Nothing has the lawful right to take our bravery from us. That's fear. That's the enemy's lie. That's twisting and perverting and making it seem like something has more power than God and nothing does. 
So if the enemy can get us to stay in fear, he can keep our lives in chaos, powerless to the storms around us. So do you see why it's his weapon of choice? You see why he uses it so often? Because it takes something and makes it bigger than God. So if this is the case, if this is a major weapon that he uses against us, we need to know how to recognize fear. So now, remember the enemy is good at what he does, right? He'll use anything he can to lie, to cheat, to steal, to destroy in our lives. So fear can look like terror, and that's what we would often think. So terror is an intense, sharp, overmastering fear. It's threats of violence used for intimidation or coercion, and it's where we get the word terrorist. So a lot of times we'll say, I don't deal with fear because we don't live in terror, right? Like I used to say that, I don't deal with fear because I don't, like, I don't have nightmares. It was just like, I don't, once I got past the clown thing, once we got free of that, right? I was like, oh, I'm not, I don't, I don't live in that. I don't deal with fear, thank God, right? But a terrorist doesn't always look like a terrorist. A terrorist will come in and it make itself at home and it will assimilate and it will subtly make itself part of your life, right? Preparing for an attack, preparing for a strike. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to be afraid of this. The whole point is don't be afraid. The point is to recognize it so you can call it what it is, which is under our feet, which is defeated, which is lower than God. So fear can look like terror. Fear can also look like dread. Dread is to be in an extreme apprehension of. It's to be reluctant to do, meet. Pause. Are we back on? There we go. All right. So fear can look like dread. An old man once said, I love this. An old man once said, I'm an old man, and I have, I have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. How many of us spend so much time and energy on something that has never happened? I am so guilty of this because I'm a planner. I'm a strategist. I want to know what's coming down the road so I can prepare for it, right? But a lot of times I waste my energy preparing for something that will never happen. So I'm going to give you some strategies for that a little bit later. So, but I think a lot of us can relate to that. We spend a lot, and maybe some of you maybe are more spontaneous, you are more intuitive, and you don't do that as much as Loretta, I can see you agreeing with me. We plan for stuff, plan A through D of something that may never happen. Think of all the stuff we could get done in the time we are creating those strategies for things that will never happen. We're all working on it. So um, fear doesn't always look like fear. So terror, we would think, okay, that's fear, right? But fear doesn't always look like fear. Fear can look like worry. It can look like doubt. It can look like greed. Because greed will say, I have to take what is mine or somebody else is going to take it from me. We're afraid that something is going to have what is rightfully ours, right? So um, gratitude is a great fear breaker because when you express gratitude, you silence the enemy's voices that try to make it all about you. So greed can actually be fear. 
because you are protecting yourself. You're taking it for you when you're actually meant to be focused on him and knowing that he's going to not only provide for you, but you're going to provide for others. So fear can look like greed. Fear can look like lack. Now, this is maybe a harsh statement, but if you believe that there won't ever be enough, there won't ever be enough. It's a fear cycle. Believe that there's never enough, there's never enough. So then I believe that there's never enough, then there's never enough. That's why I love generosity so much because it breaks the cycle of fear. It breaks that because generosity is a kingdom principle. Nothing goes against that. When you walk in in a kingdom principle, in generosity, you break that fear cycle because generosity says, I will give and there will always be enough. It's the total opposite. So if you want to break that cycle, that lack fear cycle, give and see what happens. And take note of it. Something we do in our house is we write post-it notes. If anytime a financial miracle happens, and I'm talking like huge financial miracle, I'm talking like somebody get paid for your coffee for you. We put a post-it note on the fridge and it's just always there. It's always there to remind us that there will always be enough in him. All right, another uh, thing that fear can look like is procrastination. And you might think, no, but it's true. This one can be subtle and you have to ask yourself, okay, all right, if there's something I'm procrastinating, what is actually the root? What is actually the reason that I'm procrastinating? Is it just because I'm not, not doing it, not making it important enough? Or is it because I'm afraid that if I do it, my expectations aren't going to be met? Somebody's going to be disappointed in me. Um, it's not going to work out the way that I plan. People are, are going to be upset with me. So if, if there's an area of procrastination, just ask the Lord, okay, is this actually fear? Is there actually a root somewhere in here that is causing me to hold back in something that God is wanting us to do? So to face that fear is to say, um, yeah, it's to look and to say, what's the worst thing that could happen? Debbie has always said this and it's always stuck with me. She goes, what's the worst that could happen? And us, some of us can come up with some pretty bad things. <laughs> Debbie's a dreamer. She's a visionary. I love her dearly. So she's like, what's the worst that can happen? Right? So sometimes it's just saying, all right, God, what is the worst thing that could happen? And is it bigger than you? And if it isn't, then okay. It's not really that bad. And if it is, he'll help you clean up the pieces, right? So something else fear can look like is self-preservation, which can often look like isolation. Now, isolation is a big fear monger because when you are by yourself, the enemy, his voice can become louder and louder and louder. No one loves me. No one understands me. I'm not worth it. Those voices can just play and there's not someone else there to interrupt and to say, wait a minute, what are you believing? What are you hearing? So isolation is a huge fear monger. It gets you to stay in that. A lot of times depression comes in when that happens. And fear hates vulnerability. It wants to keep you, like, it wants you to think that you are the only thing that keeps you safe. You are the one who has to protect you. But actually, God protects you. He's already promised you that. And now this is big. This changed my life. When something stays in the dark, it remains unchanging. So isolation gets you to stay in the dark. And you actually can't, you can't get out of it. You can't change. You can't shake it. Because if it stays in the dark, it remains unchanging. But when something comes to the light, it can change. So when a lie is pointed out, when a fear is pointed out, 
when something, now shame will get us to say, no, 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 nobody can see that. I don't even want to admit it to myself. God can't see that. Other people can't see that. But that's shame, which partners with fear. But when it comes to the light, when it's brought into the truth, it can change. And that lie, that fear that's controlling your life can be changed and you'll be set free. I have learned, this sounds weird, I have learned to love when fear is exposed in my life. Because the moment it's exposed, it loses its power. So again, isolation wants to make it all where we're protecting ourselves. It remains in the dark. It remains closed in. So what's the, the opposite of isolation? Community. Community is a huge fear breaker. Get in healthy community. Get around healthy people and start opening up to them. Because I promise you, you'll find freedom when things are brought into the light. Now, I'm not, I'm, I said healthy community. So don't just go to whoever. Don't set yourself up for something else. But there is healthy community. There are those that you can trust. Go to, open up, because that, those cycles will begin to break off your, your life and you will start to taste freedom. And guys, like, I'll, I might have time to go into it, but it sets you free. And freedom is a good way to live. All right. Another way that fear can appear is through anger. Now, you might think, okay, that one doesn't sound like fear. That sounds like a different issue. But anger is typically a secondary emotion, meaning it's the voice, but it's not the cause. It's not the root. So a lot of times, anger can manifest, but it's actually because it's hitting a fear. So something happened. I got disappointed. Something happened. Um, I wasn't protected. Whatever that was. So now you're afraid, and it hits that trigger, and anger is what manifests. So all these things are fear. So fear doesn't always look like fear. But fear is a huge weapon that the enemy uses to target our lives. Now one more, and probably this one is the most culturally used, culturally acceptable um, word for fear, and that is anxiety. Um, it's like, it's, it's used so often in our culture because, why? Because so many people are dealing with fear, right? But we'll use the word anxiety. And so um, I'm going to do this really fast. But last year, I was going through a period of the greatest anxiety of my life. Um, I was probably, well, I think I was pretty open about it when it was happening. But um, you wouldn't have known it. But like I was nauseous all the time. I wasn't sleeping at night. I was um, crying all the time. Danielle would be like, what is wrong now? Because I was just, every day, I was just crying on the verge of panic attacks all the time. I'm just going through this time of great anxiety, and I didn't know why. I didn't know what was happening, because nothing externally, it didn't make sense why I would be feeling this. So I'm going through this. I'm doing everything I know to do, um, body, soul, and spirit, to get this checked out. And so I, I'm talking to a counselor, and this might not seem huge to you. It might seem obvious, but I, I, said, I said, I'm dealing with such anxiety. And she goes, well, anxiety is just fear. And like, you might be like, well, yeah, duh, like obvious. But for me, that was like a huge revelation because I was like, oh my gosh, anxiety is just fear. And so when I, I knew what it was, again, it was brought to the light. I was like, oh, okay, all right. Now, I'm not saying in that moment when I talked to her that everything broke. No, I'm not saying that at all. But in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm dealing with fear. And I was realizing there were deep-rooted fears in my life that were coming to the surface. And I either had to stare them in the face because now I knew what it was. Now it had a name. Now I could look at it. Now it's fear. So I knew that I had a choice. 
I was either going to look at those fears, stare them directly in the face and say, you will not be more powerful than my God. You will not control my life any longer. Or I could just continue to live in it and it was going to continue to control my life. This was a hard season for me, guys. Like, I'm not saying this was an easy thing to do, but I recognized what it was. And when I saw what it was, when I saw it for fear, for what it was, I could actually stare it in the face and say, no, 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 my God, my God destroys fear, my God. And I could defeat it. I could attack it with the truth. And I would wake up in the middle of the night with scriptures just literally coming out of my mouth. I would wake up in the middle of the night singing these songs that I would rehearse all day long as a survival mechanism because this was hard. But it became so a part of me, the truth became so a part of me that eventually that thing broke and it has not returned and it will not return. I do not live under that oppression any longer. So why do I tell you my story? Because I know what is possible. I know what freedom feels like. And I want that for not just you guys, I want that for everybody. So when fear gets called out for what it is, which is a liar, it can be overcome, it can be defeated. And you will taste freedom. So anxiety, I remember this. One day, I think I was cleaning. God gives me the best revelations when I clean, and I hate cleaning. But God's funny. But I was cleaning, and I just, I wasn't even, I don't know, I wasn't even thinking about anything. And I go, fear doesn't get to make my decisions for me. And I was like, oh, well, that's good, right? Fear does not get to make my decisions for me. All right. I skipped some things. I'm running out of time. Yeah, when it has a name, it loses its power. Psalm 119.37, this is my favorite scripture right now. Psalm 119.37, it says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Now listen to how the Passion Translation says this. Uh, again, it's Psalm 119.37. It says, Help me turn my eyes away from illusions so that I pursue only that which is true. Fear is false evidence appearing real. It's a lie. It's something that tries to get you to think that something is more powerful than God. So I've been saying, Jesus, help me turn my eyes from the worthless things. Help me turn my eyes from the illusions. What is appearing real? What is appearing powerful in my life? So that I pursue only that which is true. That to me is a prayer of freedom. Turn my eyes from the worthless things so that I'm led only by your way, so that I only see what is true. Because you don't have to worry about tomorrow when you know who commands the future. You don't have to worry about what you'll eat or what you wear because when you seek him first, all these things will be added unto you. That's Jesus teaching in Matthew, if you didn't know. I'm not just saying those things. He said those things. So when we ask God to shine his light in the dark corners of our lives, he convicts, listen to this, he convicts the accuser of his crime. When we say, God, reveal the fear in my life so that I can be set free. When we do that, he convicts the accuser of his crime. Is what's more powerful than God? Nothing, nothing. So he convicts, he puts his judgment, he puts his justice on the accuser that is accusing us day and night. He puts his justice and his judgment down and he accuses the enemy of his crime. 
And then guess what he does? He gives us the directive to lock him up. So God will execute his judgment against the accuser. Then we have to actually go lock it up. We have to partner with God's justice and say, okay, no more. Fear does not get to make my decisions for me any longer. Fear does not get to control my life. We have to partner with his justice to actually walk out our freedom. It's huge, and he gives us that opportunity. And it's not hard when we keep him first. It's not impossible by any means when we put it in his hands. Like, this is possible, and I, can, I say it because I've lived it. It's, free, it's freedom. I, have, I can give you my own account, and I know that it's not just for me. That's for you, too. All right, I'm going to skip down. So one of the biggest things for me when I was going through that anxiety season was, and, and I've heard this from a lot of people who have gone through anxiety or depression, it's, there is a great fear, and I, I know it well. There's a great fear that says, what if this never ends? What if I can't defeat this? What if I can't get through this? Because, guys, I did all the things. Like, I got my hormones checked. I was doing all the things, body, soul, and spirit. And it, it can feel very hopeless. It can feel very helpless. So that lie comes in, what if, I, if this never ends? And I, um, there's a story. Is Aiden in here? Hopefully this doesn't embarrass you, Aiden. He's big. He's, like, taller than any of us now, so it shouldn't. But when Aiden and Layla were kids, just little, little ones, I was babysitting, and... Um, Aiden has always been taller than Layla, um, but Layla is, can be very aggressive. And so they were like playing around and Layla was beating up on Aiden. Now she probably wouldn't try that, but Layla's beating up on Aiden. And so he's down on the ground and, and I remember Aiden, you were kind of like, help me, help me. And I said, Aiden, stand up. And you know what you did? You stood up. So he stood up. And as soon as he stood up, he's like, oh. I'm actually bigger than her. I'm actually more powerful than her. Now you're much, much taller than her, right? <laughs> yes. So there's a, a realization when we actually recognize where our power is, the power that we actually have, and those things that are like, oh, there, I can't get past this. I can't get through this. The Holy Spirit will say, okay, yes, you can. Stand up. Now, it doesn't, you don't have to let go into full-on, like, attack mode. All, sometimes all you have to do is recognize who you are. Recogni okay, stand up. When you stand up, all of a sudden, you look. Now, this is no longer applies to you, Aiden. We're past you. But we look at that one who's been beating us, and we say, that's it? That's the guy that's been terrifying me? When we stand up, when we recognize, okay, God made me more powerful. Power, love, sound mind. My God did not give me a spirit of fear. He gave me power, love, and a sound mind. All you have to do is recognize that, standing up in that, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, all right, I can do this. Now, I'm not saying the feelings go away, right away, but they will because they have to, because they're, the judgment of God, the justice of God will accuse that accuser. He will strike his judgment on the accuser of the brethren, our accuser, and then we can partner with him to lock him up, put him in his rightful place. All right, I want to get to some practical strategies really quick because I always like to give you those. So these are some practical ways um, for showing fear who's boss. One of them is worship. And this does not mean music. 
It can involve music, but it doesn't have to. What worship is, is where your attention lies. It's what has your affection. It's, what has, it's what's first and most in your life. We are always worshiping something. It's either God or something else. We were created, we were designed to worship. So we're always worshiping something. So all it is, is putting him first and most. It's just saying, okay, God, I put you first. I see you first. I make you the loudest voice that I hear right now. And sometimes that might mean you have to actually out loud say the scriptures so that you are hearing your own voice speak the word of God. It's making him the biggest one in the room, the most powerful thing in our lives. Uh, Another way we do this is to keep him a part of our conversations. And guys, the Lord has been convicting me of this because sometimes we talk so much um, without him. We just leave him out of the conversation and he always wants to be a part. That's the way, a way that we leave him first and most is not just when we're talking to him and hearing from him, but it's involving him in every part of our lives, in our conversations, in our day-to-day activities. He is always the first thing that we see. He's always the loudest thing that we hear. And so it can just be that shift. Again, I'm not talking about going off and living like a nun or a monk and all you do is worship the Lord like in silence. No, I'm just saying he's always a part of your life. He's always first and he's always most. That's worship. So uh, that might not sound practical, but it is. It's just, it's involving him in your everyday life, in your everyday moments. Another way is to meditate and pray his word. So like I said, I would wake up speaking the scripture. And why? That's because all day long, in order to survive, I had to replay the scripture in my mind over and over and over again. And now I believe that was part of the rewriting of the memory in my mind. It was rewriting those lies, that fear with truth. All right. And this one is really practical. This one, hopefully you'll go, oh, awesome. That will really help me. Um, But another way to, um, to combat fear is to take control of the narrative. Now, um, I, did, I, I mentioned this last week, but in, in class, we've been talking about um, how we can overcome the enemy, the power that we have. And so, um, but we were talking about our imaginations and how good we are at writing stories. And so I would go around the room and I would say, what if, and they would fill in the blank. And we do this all the time. What if the money doesn't come in? What if I say this and they don't like it? What if I do this? Like we, I could go around the room And you could come up with a lot of different stories of a what-if scenario of what could happen. And we do this all the time. We do it subconsciously. We do it out loud. Um, So the what-if game, we play play this all the time. So now, now you can start to recognize if my thought or if my sentence starts out with what if, check it. Where am I going with this? Am I going to the worst thing that could happen? Am I going to something that probably won't happen? Am I going to something where, the, where something is bigger than God? So if you can stop, if you can catch the what if and just don't finish the sentence, you've just overcome fear in that moment. Like it actually can be that simple. So I'm telling you like, so the what if, because we do this all the time. I think everybody can relate to a what if scenario. If you can stop the what if and just, nope, not finishing that sentence. And this takes practice but the more you practice, the better you get at it. If you can stop the what if, fear just lost ground. Fear just lost. So the what if, don't finish the sentence. Or if you're going to finish the sentence, this might even be better. What's the best case scenario? What actually could happen? What are the possibilities? The other, another thing is don't tell yourself stories. This was huge for me last year when I was going through anxiety. 
is I am really good at telling myself stories. And we all do this. Like I said, we have great imaginations. So um, we will uh, see something and we will create a narrative. Well, they probably looked at me that way because I did this and that happened. And so therefore we create this story, right? Do you ever like, if, do you ever like on Facebook, somebody like gives you like the angry emoji, like reaction and you're like, what did I, why would they do that? Oh, that's probably because last week I cut them off and I didn't actually see who it was, but they knew that I did it. And so now they're angry with me. And so that's why they put the angry reaction, right? Do you see the stories? You're like, and we can like justify this. We can make it sound totally correct. But it's not, it's just a story we're telling ourselves. So last year, um, I would do this and I'd say, nope, Katie, we're not telling stories right now. It's not story time. And I would just tell myself this, nope, it's not story time right now. We're not telling stories. Because what happens neurologically in your brain when you do this, when you tell yourself that story, whether it has happened or not, your brain will start to believe that it's true and will release chemicals in your body. You will feel the reactions of it, and that will mess up, it will mess with your life, right? So, for example, you're telling yourself this story of something that never happened, and it's a stressful story. So, your body responds and says, okay, release stress hormones. All of a sudden, cortisol, literally chemicals are flowing through your body, which will affect you. It could, uh, you could be, feel angry, your heart, your blood pressure could rise, um, you could feel like, like depressed, you could feel anxious, all of those things will start. And this is actually a physical process that is happening. And what started it? A story that we told ourselves that was not, never actually true, right? I just realized I'm going way past time. <laughs> oh, well, we're almost done. I'm sorry, I didn't even do it intentionally. You got an extra hour of sleep, so you're, you're raring to go. All right, so don't tell yourself stories. Now I'll wrap it up. Um, so, and we do that um, by separating, we can, we can put that pause there and not tell ourselves stories by separating the thought from the fact. So a fact is neutral. A fact is just something that happened. It's not good or bad. It's not one way or the other. It's just what happened. Anything that you add to a fact then becomes a thought. So let me give you an example really quickly. Okay, here's the fact. Brian slammed the door. Okay, fact, this happened, Brian slammed the door. Okay, I don't know who Brian is, but he slammed the door. Okay, and so Brian slammed the door, and now anything that we add to that is a thought. So Brian slammed the door, he must be mad at me. Okay, do you see the difference? Brian slammed the door is a fact. Anything added to that then becomes a thought. Brian slammed the door, he must be mad at me. And how many of you, if you heard a door slam in your general direction, you're like, okay, probably something's going on. And you'll begin to tell yourself the story. So he must be mad at me. He's mad at me because I didn't leave the keys on the counter for him. And now he's going to blame me for being late. And it's all my fault. And I'm always messing up. And now he's going to leave me. Big narrative, right? But we do this in smaller ways all the time. Oh, he's mad at me. What did I do? He's mad at me. He needs to get over it. He, like, and things build, right? Because we've added, we've added thoughts to the facts. Here's another one. Um, you have $12 in your bank account for the rest of the month. Okay, you have two choices. You can believe uh, fear or you can believe faith. Okay, so fear's thoughts comes in. I have $12. How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to take care of? How am I going to get to work? How am I going to blah, 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 you know? Or we can say, okay, God, 
There's the fact. I've got $12 in my bank account. This is not fake. This is not something I'm making up. I actually have $12 in my bank account right now, right? Okay, what are faith's thoughts? Faith is connecting. Okay, God, you're the biggest thing that I see. You're bigger than that. What do I do? What's the answer? I'm not saying these aren't big things. I'm saying we can either believe faith or we can believe fear. We can believe that he's the biggest thing in the room or we can believe something else is bigger and more powerful than him. One gives us power and one takes away our power. So we want to start taking control of the narrative. So what ifs? Just don't do it. It's not worth it. Just don't finish the sentence. Don't tell yourself stories. Remember the fact, all right, what it actually happened. And until you can go hear it from the horse's mouth, just leave it at that. Just don't go there. Don't create the story. Nope, Katie, we're not telling stories right now. That honestly helped me huge because I wouldn't feed into that anxiety that was trying to control my life. All right, 1 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to read that again. Casting down imaginations, those stories, those thoughts, those lies, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, anything that's trying to go above God, be more powerful than God. And bringing it into captivity, anytime that you cut off that what if and don't let the, the thought lead you to fear, you've just put into captivity the enemy. You have just um, brought judgment upon the accuser. And you're bringing it into captivity. Every thought to the obedience of Christ, no, you will not control my life. No, you will not make my decisions for me. No, you will not make me feel anxious for the rest of the day. You're bringing it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. All right. I hope you're getting that this can change your life. Last, last quote. A.W. Tozer says, Outside the will of God, there is nothing that I want. And inside the will of God, there is nothing that I fear. All right. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I thank you for these people in this room. God, I thank you for everyone in the sound of my voice. God, and I thank you that you are more powerful. You're everything. You're in it all. Nothing is above you. Nothing has more power than you. All right. Yeah. So God, I thank you that you're bigger. You're bigger. God, you're everything. You're where we put our attention. You're where we put our focus. And so, God, I thank you, Father, for your grace, for your empowerment to help us to not give fear any foothold in our life. And, God, I prophesy freedom over every person in this room. God, we will not be subject to something that is not bigger than you. So, God, I thank you, God. We're going to call the enemy what he is, which is a thief, a liar, and accuser. And we're going to say, is that the guy? Is that the guy who's shaking the nations? And we won't give him the satisfaction. So God, I bless each one. I release them into freedom this day. In Jesus' name, Manny. I'm going to have Manny come up and introduce our healing teams. <laughs>